What's up, guys? Welcome to this episode of the Draft Nut Podcast. I am your host, Devin Jackson. Uh, I will not be joined by Jared Feinberg today. He is busy with papers and such. So hope that Jared gets back soon. Uh, but I will be doing this podcast solo. So first of all, uh, hope everyone is doing well. Uh, recording this on Tuesday morning. Um, you know, it's a snowy day here in Pennsylvania. So that is always interesting but first we're gonna uh talk about the week that was uh, obviously me and jared are panthers and saints fans respectfully uh so i'll you know kind of briefly give my thoughts on both games first of all starting with the saints game uh they played the denver broncos on sunday afternoon bit of a unique situation uh it was one of those situations where the broncos didn't have a quarterback available they had to uh, start Kendall Hinton, who uh, was a receiver at the time for the Denver Broncos on the practice squad and has not played quarterback uh, since 2017 back against Clemson. Uh, well, he was still at Wake Forest, but since then he has played receiver. Uh, but due to COVID-19 protocols and uh, both uh, all of the Broncos quarterbacks being uh, in close contact uh, with the one quarterback that tested positive, the NFL deemed them out. So the, um, you know, New Orleans Saints had to play against essentially a, a quarterback uh, that hasn't played an actual snap uh, in three seasons. So a lot of co- controversy around that. But at the end of the day, you know, all they could do is is play the game in front of them. So uh, obviously they won the football game. They won 31 to three. Uh, it was a, a blowout from start to finish. Wasn't exactly the greatest performance from Taysom Hill. Um, uh, and between the two players, uh, I believe they only could muster up, I believe, 91 passing yards between the two, uh, both Taysom Hill and Kendall Hinton. And, you know, a lot of people are going to look at that and say, you know, this that's not a good performance uh, by any stretch of the imagination, which is understandable. Uh, Taysom Hill went 9-16 for 78 yards and in an interception. Uh, Hinton had went 1-9, for nine, 13 yards and two picks. Um, really, the story of the game was that the Saints just dominated on both sides of the ball, which was expected, uh, like I said, Obviously, the Broncos didn't have a starting quarterback, so there's really not much that they could do uh, in that game. So, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing what the Saints does against the Falcons this upcoming week. But there's really not too much to say about the Saints winning uh, because it was expected once we heard the news that the Broncos essentially had to bring up a practice squad player to play quarterback. So uh, we knew that was going to happen. So I won't say too, too much about that game uh you know but Latavius Murray did have a big day 19 carries 124 24 yards and two touchdowns so uh that was something to note from that game uh that he finally uh broke away and got a couple touchdowns so um shout out to him but yeah the Saints won that one easily now we're gonna look at the Panthers game uh I know my guy Jared was watching this one um it, it was a heartbreaker you know the the Panthers took control of the game you know, um, in, in the second half, uh, at, at one point, they, they were up 21 to 10, thanks to Jeremy Chin, who had uh, probably his best game as a pro. Um, but pretty much after that, Minnesota took over in the fourth quarter and uh, outscored the Panthers 18 to six in the fourth quarter. And uh, Kirk Cousins threw a 10 yard game winning touchdown to Chad Beebe uh, with a 
with the 46 seconds left, Panthers got themselves in field goal range, but Joey Sly missed it wide left. So the Panthers lost that game and moved to four and eight on the season. I know it makes uh, Jared, you know, kind of conflicted, you know, happy at the same time, but at the same time sad because the Panthers have now lost multiple close games on the season. Uh, you look at their schedule, uh, they have lost. I'm, I'm counting as I go. They've lost uh, one. Let's see here. Uh, two, three, four, five, uh, six. Six of the eight games they lost this season have been by uh, one score or less. So that uh, has been quite devastating for the young Carolina Panthers, but they are showing fight. They're showing that this could be a good football team. Um, you know, their offense coordinator, Joe Brady, he's, he has called games extremely well for Teddy Bridgewater. You have to be excited for, you know, uh, Joe Brady's chances as a head coach. I think that he could potentially see some offers in the offseason. Uh, somebody like the L.A. Chargers, who I think will move on from Anthony Lynn, uh, would be a dream scenario for me. A nightmare would be the Falcons hiring Joe Brady. That would be absolutely devastating, but uh, that would be probably a good move for them. But they may consider taking a quarterback uh, um, for the future. But, you know, Joe Brady will be a hot name uh, out there. You know, this Carolina defense is starting to have um, – you know, some success defensively. Uh, Jeremy Chen, back-to-back touchdowns, fumble recovery touchdowns uh, in the third quarter. Um, Brian Burns is still emerging as one of the premier edge rushers uh, and probably will be in the next wave of edge rushers to break out. So that's exciting for uh, the Carolina Panthers. But in general, man, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough for them to lose that game uh, against the Minnesota Vikings, a team that, really started the season off poorly, but they have started to turn things around. So you have to watch out for them down the stretch of the season. New Orleans Saints have to play them in a couple of weeks. So that will not be a, a easy game by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, we'll figure it out when it gets there. But you just hope that, you know, um, you, you just hope they can get it done and, uh, you know, beat this team that is, is kind of haunted in the last couple of seasons. So, you know, fingers crossed on that. We'll see what happens. Um, but now moving on to college football, uh, another great week, great week in college football. Uh, but I wanted to talk about some prospects uh, that impressed me uh, this weekend. And uh, at the top of the list has to be Buffalo running back Jared Patterson. If you did not hear what he did on Saturday, he had an, had an absolutely sensational game. Uh, Jared Patterson was uh, nearly... Uh, he was 43 yards away from breaking the all-time uh, record for the most rushing yards in a game once at the start of his last drive in, in the game. And, you know, he, he got nearly half of that uh, just on, on that one drive. But uh, due to the fact that, um, you know, it was towards the end of the game and I think the coaches wanted to give him over 400 yards, I don't think they realized that he was so close to the record. Uh, but looking at his final, final stat line, uh, when when it was all said and done, Buffalo beat Kent State 70 to 41. But he finished with 36 carries, 409 yards and eight touchdowns. Uh, simply a sensational performance. And he's one of those guys that uh, could be, you know, a, a, 
you know, potentially a late day two, day three guy, and, and he can come in and immediately contribute. You know, he has nice vision. Uh, contact balance is tremendous. He bounces off of tackles with ease. And he can uh, run in the open field and, and, and gash defenses with uh, his speed. He, he doesn't necessarily have that electric speed like Chris Johnson or anything like that, but he's a nice stout running back, 5'9", uh, uh, someone that can get in between the tackles, can bounce it outside. I uh, want to see him contribute more in the passing game, but he's such a workhorse for the Buffalo um, Bulls, um, you know, so – I don't expect him, you know, to to put up big receiving numbers, but he can certainly be a two down back in the NFL immediately and translating. You want to see how he does in pass protection a little bit more. Buffalo is not exactly the running team. They only had 21 attempts in this game. And, and most of the games, he's he's seeing 20 and 30 touches per game. Uh, you look at, at the Bowling Green game, I mean, they only uh, passed the ball for – 12 times and he had 301 rushing yards Jared Patterson did and then you look at the Miami of Ohio game uh kind of same story but a little bit more from uh Van Treese the quarterback who had 353 yards on 27 attempts uh but the first game was is kind of similar 20 carries from Jared Patterson uh he's going to be a, a real big name to keep an eye out for in the group of five uh he's not a power five guy but someone I think uh, could really, really break out. The next prospect that impressed me on Saturday was Devontae Smith. Uh, he had seven receptions, 171 yards, and two touchdowns against Auburn. Uh, the play to me that stood out to me is when he yanked a defender uh, while he was pretending to stalk block uh, and ran a slant and, and took it all the way home for a touchdown. I think he's going to be one of those guys that uh, a tweener, he plays, you know, a little bit inside and outside. I think he has some versatility for both. And I think he, he's going to be one of those guys that doesn't necessarily get the high first round buzz, but I think that he can immediately contribute and uh, be someone that is a reliable weapon, uh, someone that can get behind defense. Obviously he had a big game last season against LSU and Derek Steenley, who, it's still considered by a lot of people as one of the best DBs in the country still, even though he's just a true sophomore. And then, of course, he ran through Ole Miss to score five touchdowns. But this performance uh, on Saturday against Auburn reminded me a lot of the uh, the game against Ole Miss last season for Alabama, where Devontae Smith was simply unguardable. Uh, and you had to give him credit for, you know, continuing to be that uh, that guy that, um, Alabama can, can uh, count on. You know, obviously they lost Jerry, Judy, and Henry Ruggs from last season. And, of course, they got Najee Harris in the backfield who has still been great this season. Mac Jones as the full-time starter has played really well, but Devontae Smith continues to impress me and continues to show that, you know, he should be one of the top five receivers taken in this draft. Uh, so you can't really argue with that. And I'm excited to see what he does going forward. Uh, looking at another um, another player that impressed me, Dio uh, Obeyingbo, Obeyingbo uh, for Vanderbilt. He uh, he has been phenomenal uh, despite them losing uh, 41 to nothing to uh, Mizzou. He had a big game. Uh, he was causing disruption uh, by the. Um, uh, for the Missouri, Missouri offensive line, uh, it was one of those games where obviously this, 
you look at the scoreboard it's like oh you know this is this wasn't a great game to watch or anything like that obviously the big uh talk of the day was sarah fuller the the kicker uh that um played women's soccer for vanderbilt and, and was asked to to come on the football team to kick for them uh with all the things going on with their kicking situation at vandy uh and you know she didn't get a chance to kick a field goal but she did um get a chance to to kick off and you know it was a really good thing and a really monumental thing for her to do and, and anyone that's you know trying to doubt her or say you know she uh should have played another position or she should have went on to make a tackle all that craziness man it, it does not matter she made history uh we need to accept that and uh there is really no need for uh this slander that she got and same thing with Derek mason you know obviously uh, he got uh, axed yesterday um, or or Sunday, I believe. He got axed from, from the Vanderbilt job, but it should not be an indictment on him. People should not be talking the way that they're talking about him. So uh, you guys need to do better in, in terms of that. But back to uh, Dio for uh, Vanderbilt, the defensive lineman. Uh, he had two sacks and three tackles for loss. Uh, he was disruptive, someone that... I believe could uh, probably probably play uh, a five technique, uh, maybe a three technique if he if he puts some weight on. But he uh, has those long arms, can can disengage, um, has nice quickness off the ball, and and can be a, a disruptor. So I think that he's going to be one of those guys that it's not going to be a high uh, high pick guy. Uh, and I believe that he may be going to the Senior Bowl if I'm not mistaken, or he has some eligibility for the senior bowl, but six six two seventy six 76 on the season. Uh, now he is up to five and a half sacks, uh, his best output of his career. Uh, you really love to see what he's doing uh, for the Commodore. So hopefully, you know, he can continue up this, uh, this hot pace that he's been on for 2020 and, and someone that will kind of slip through the ranks, but, uh, I think we'll do a good job in NFL um, providing some nice reps. Now uh, to one of my favorite teams so far, Coastal Carolina uh, edge Teron Jackson. He also impressed me. Uh, he has incredible quickness. Uh, love his dip and rip and bend around the corner. Um, one of those uh, small school guys that, um, you know, has gotten some buzz, but not a ton of buzz. Um, my guy, Jordan Reed, he he's talked about him quite a bit. Uh, on Twitter and in in everything like that, uh, but he had a he had a really good game uh, against Texas State. Uh, he as well also put up over two sacks. He had two and a half sacks and three tackles for loss as well. Um, very explosive off the ball. Someone that uh, you could use probably a, a day three pick on, and you can get some real value out of him. And and he can be a borderline starter. Uh, you know, backup that comes in and, and provides some relief and can still get to the quarterback. So I, I think he, he can uh, build out a solid NFL career. And I think he will certainly be drafted uh, when when all things are said and done for the senior out of Aiken, South Carolina. Just 6'2", 6, 260, a little bit undersized in terms of height, what uh, NFL teams are looking for, an explosive pass rusher. But he, he has the tools to, to, to be a serious threat. 
And he's going to be a, a big time matchup when uh, Liberty and Coastal Carolina meet um, on Saturday where, where college game day will be uh, later this week, as I will be solo the entire week. Uh, I will talk about that game and kind of preview the the prospects in that one and, and how excited I am to see two of my favorite teams this season go at it. So uh, hopefully uh, that game turns out to be uh, something, uh, a big time game and that uh, both teams take care of their COVID thing, co- you know, COVID safety and continue to uh, wear a mask, social distance and uh, ensure that they're not uh, testing positive. But I'm excited for that game. I'm excited for Teron Jackson as a prospect. I think he's going to be really, really good. Now, obviously, Florida tight end Kyle Pitts has been amazing. Uh, you know, I've been kind of holding off on, on making him tight end one because uh, I still got a lot of love for Pat Frymuth and what he brings to the table. Uh, but when I think it's all said and done, I think Kyle Pitts will be the first tight end off the board. Now, in terms of translating directly to the pro, I think uh, I think Pat Frymuth still has a bit of an edge because he plays more that traditional hand and ground tight end position comp- compared to Kyle Pitts. Pitts is more of a, a Darren Waller type receiver. Uh, where he has the size to be a tight end, but he has the skills to be a receiver. Um, he has a speed. Um, he, he has everything you, you're looking for in the modern tight end fit. So he'll be a quarterback's best friend. And I think that, like I said, when it's all said and done, he'll be the first one off the board. And and for those who didn't see, he had a big game uh, in his return from con- from the concussion protocol uh, that kept him out for a few weeks. Um, but his final stat line on the day was five receptions, 99 yards and three touchdowns. So uh, once again, producing at a high level and uh, someone that is going to be key for Florida as they continue to make a run in the college football playoff. Now, uh, next player that impressed me was a uh, South Alabama receiver, Jalen, Jalen Tolbert. Uh, he had a monster game against Arkansas State. 10 receptions, 252 yards, and three touchdowns. He's one of those guys that, uh, you know, kind of in, in that Sunbelt Conference is, is kind of flown under the radar. A lot has been made about Jonathan Adams Jr., uh, who also had a, a solid game, too. He had nine receptions, 138 yards, and three touchdowns. Well, two touchdowns, excuse me. But uh, Tober was a was a star of the day. Uh, he, he played really, really well, has underrated speed and, and separation ability. And, uh, you know, he is just a junior. So I don't think he, he probably, uh, declares this year, uh, just simply on the fact that, you know, it'll be hard for him as a small school receiver, uh, to get a ton of buzz as a junior, but, uh, he has played supremely well and someone that, like I said, has flown under the radar, um, on, on the season, both both of these receivers in this game were incredible. Uh, Adams Jr. has great range and ability, uh, jumping ability, while T- Tober has a little bit more speed, a little bit more, um, you know, agility in, in his game. But uh, both tremendous receivers. But Tober is someone that I'm going to continue to watch for, uh, you know, maybe not even this year, but uh, into the next few seasons. Now, uh, a couple more guys that I'm going to highlight. Trevor Lawrence, uh, he came back off of an injury. Well, not an injury uh, from the COVID list. Uh, They didn't get to play last week against Florida State because they had a COVID issue right before the game. Um, But uh, in his return, um, 
Trevor Lawrence had over 400 yards passing and two touchdowns. Uh, it, it was a really good game. Uh, you could see the fundamentals. You could see uh, everything that makes him QB1 in this draft and has had him at QB1 really since the beginning of last year. Uh, we knew he was going to be 2021 QB1 more than likely. Justin Fields has made a push, uh, but I don't think that push will be enough, and he won't have as many games on tape as Trevor Lawrence has this season or in, in his career uh, as a starting quarterback at Ohio State. So uh, Trevor Lawrence, man, uh, he is he's good. He, he's he, like like my guy Jordan Reed said uh, last week when we interviewed him, me and, and Jared, he's a generational prospect. He's someone that you can build a team around. Uh, so don't overthink this. He's a good quarterback, um, and there's no denying that. He's a really good quarterback, and, and it's going to be uh, a really good quarterback probably in the NFL for the next 10, 15 years. And, and hopefully, you know, if the Jets do end up with the number one pick, they surround him with a great offensive line and great weapons. And whoever they bring in as the next head coach, assuming that Adam Gase is gone, uh, you just hope that they build around him properly. Uh, and the game in general just wasn't a close competitive one. Uh, Kenny Pickett struggled uh, in, in the game against Clemson, so it was not the quarterback duel we we were certain, certainly hoping for, but uh, you, you can't complain too much about the game. But Trevor Lawrence really impressed me. Now, for the Texas A&M game against LSU, this one was a hard one uh, for me personally because I love LSU. Uh, I'm a big fan of LSU, but I do recognize when they're not good this season and, and they have not been good. But uh, who has been good is the Texas A&M defensive line. Uh, they were tremendous in this game. And particularly, uh, I'm going to highlight uh, two players. Uh, one being Bobby Brown, the uh, third, the defensive lineman for Texas A&M, who is 6'4", 325 pounds. Uh, he has been a wrecking ball in the game, just a junior, uh, and he's probably going to come back for his senior season. But he had three and a half sacks so far in the season. But in the game against LSU, he had one sack, one and a half tackles for loss, and he had a pick six. Uh, it doesn't get much better for a defensive lineman. Uh, one, excuse me, he did not get a pick six. It was Buddy Johnson, a linebacker. Uh, but he did cause some havoc. And then one other player that uh, really stood out to me was uh, DeMarvin Leal, uh, the sophomore out of uh, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, his stats don't necessarily show kind of the impact he has, uh, but he did have an interception earlier this season against Alabama. Uh, but he's someone that is going to be uh, a guy that I look forward to take the next step next season. Uh, and, and, you know, should he have a dominant season next season? Because uh, he plays like that defensive line slash edge role for uh, A&M. I believe they have three down linemen. Uh, he he will play well uh, next season, I believe, and, and someone that I'm going to probably mark as a 2022 2022 guy potentially this AM defense has gotten really talented over the last couple of seasons uh Jimbo Fisher Jimbo Fisher is a really good recruiter so I, I really expect those two guys to take uh, a big step next season and, and potentially uh, get on some draft radars and then I'll finish it up with uh this player UCLA running back Demetric Felton uh now I, I I've made some uh discussion on Twitter about him I think that he reminds me a lot of Antonio Gibson in terms of a receiver uh, also playing running back and also having that dual threat role I think that uh he can be one of those guys that 
that goes to the senior bowl and his stock raises tremendously. Uh, he, he's a smooth, uh, runner has some real speed. Uh, once he gets to the second and third level and he's elusive and open field, uh, he's everything you ask for in kind of a modern running back. And in terms of receiving production, obviously he used to play receiver. So he has those natural hands, those that ability to run those Texas routes out of the backfield, those choice routes that uh, the Saints have made Alvin Kamara kind of famous for. Uh, you know, you can put him out wide and, and put him in a slot and uh, ask him to run a route on a linebacker or a safety. So I think that he's one of those guys that uh, can fit multiple roles for uh, in offense. And uh, whether they value him on day two or day three is going to be up to how he runs in the um, in the combine and in his pro day and, and what he does in at the senior bowl week. But he can make some big money uh, should he, you know, continue to play well and then, you know, play well in the senior bowl. But he had 32 carries for 206 yards and one touchdown. Uh, against Arizona on Saturday night. Uh, so I got to watch him, you know, majority of first and second half. So I was very impressed with his performance, and he continues to be on my list almost every other week. So that's someone that is probably, by the time the draft rolls around, I'm probably going to peg him as a, as a top 10 running back, uh, potentially top five, depending on what he does the rest of the season. But nonetheless, man, uh, UCLA has looked impressive. I'm looking forward to Dorian Thompson Robinson coming back and uh, playing for this offense. Um, and, and hopefully they can can make a, a, a run and, and end up with a winning season for the first time in quite some time. But uh, DTR is probably going to come back another season because he just doesn't. He only has two games of tape this season so far, and that was against Cal in Colorado. So hopefully he gets back on the field and, and gets to play uh, in UCLA's next game. Now, uh, looking at some other games that I, I watched over the weekend uh, in, in terms of college football, uh, I did on Friday watch the Iowa State-Texas game. Uh, you know, not too much to, to note in that game. Uh, Brees Hall continues to play well. Brock Purdy had a, a, a pretty good game for Iowa State. You know, he's kind of uh, rebuilding his his stock a little bit. Uh, Charlie Kolar had a big game, six receptions, 131 yards. Um, and now you look at the Texas side of things. Uh, it was a rough game. Um, you know, Sam Ellinger, Ellinger played OK, but uh, didn't make the plays, you know, when he needed to at the end of the game. Um just disappointing performance all around for Texas, someone that you expected to win this game. Uh, this was a must win for both teams. And uh, Iowa State is looking more and more like they're going to be in the Big Ten, Big 12 championship against Oklahoma, uh, a rematch of a game that happened earlier this season where Iowa State won 37 to 30. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I expect more out of Texas in that game. Now, uh, looking at another game that I got to watch, North Carolina versus Notre Dame. I picked North Carolina to win the game because I thought they were going to be able to score points and um, really uh, stymie the North Carolina, the North Notre Dame defense, but they were not able to. Uh, Notre Dame's defense, despite without uh, Kyle Hamilton, who got ejected for it targeting, um, they still uh, were able to get the job done. And, you know, they were did a good job on the outside against Diami Brown and uh, Daz Newsom, uh, two of the most explosive receivers in the game. Uh, they also did a good job uh, containing Javante Williams. Uh, he only had 11 carries for 28 yards. Michael Carter only eight for 57. 
And a lot of those yards were coming in the big in like the first quarter because North North Carolina went down and scored on back to back possessions uh, to start the game. So they they were showing they were serious and everything like that. But then three and outs started to happen, field goals, and then North Carolina didn't score then the rest of the game. Uh, that's how dominant Notre Dame's defense played. Um, so you got to give them credit for that. Ian Book is continuing to play well for Notre Dame. So uh, he's starting to solidify a potential day three draft pick uh, in him. Kyron Williams is going to be a top running back in the 2022 class if he does decide to come out. Um, he's been phenomenal this season and, you know, someone that has really risen in my eyes. So I think that, you know, they have a, they're building a nice culture at Notre Dame and, and someone, a team that I didn't really believe in uh, coming into the season. They are, have certainly earned the number two uh, spot in the country, um, you know, in, in terms of the college football playoffs. So they have done a really good job and, and you can't knock them for that at all. Liberty beat UMass 45-0. Malik Williams, Malik Willis got back on track. Uh, one of my uh, favorite quarterbacks in college football right now. Uh, he went 16-24, 223 yards and three touchdowns. So big game from him. Um, and, and you love to see that. So hopefully Liberty and uh, Coastal Carolina game, you know, is a, is a classic one. But like I said, later in the week, I will talk about that. And then uh, let's see any other games that I may have missed. I think though that covers it pretty much, uh, you know, players that did something in that game, um, you know, I think I highlighted. So uh, that was kind of the week that was in college football and, and highlighting prospects that impressed me. So I uh, just wanted to cover that. Now, uh, if you guys haven't gotten a chance, I uh, wrote a big time piece on uh, Christian Kirk. Um, he is a third year receiver out of Texas A&M. I released that on Blue Chip Scouting this morning. Uh, and basically I break down from his journey from starting and, and playing uh, college football at Texas A&M uh, under Kevin Sumlin and uh, in, in kind of being in that system. They had Trevor Knight come through there, Kyler Murray, Kyle Allen, uh, players like that. They all came through Texas A&M to play for them. Kellamon, uh, as of recent times, Nick Starkle played for played a play some downs for Texas A&M as well during Christian Kirk's time. So basically, I talk about who he was as a as a prospect uh, coming into the league. Um, he was someone that had great speed. Uh, that's another, never been questioned about the game, which is why he's served as the punt returner uh, slash kick returner for both the Texas A&M Aggies as well as Arizona Cardinals. He has great speed, um, not exactly the biggest receiver out there. He's only 5'11", uh, around 200 pounds. Um, but to me, the things that stood out to him in college that have translated in NFL is his, his route running from the slot. Um, you know, in college, he, he's gone against he went against some of the best, including Minka Fitzpatrick, um, you know, someone that is highly regarded as one of the better safeties in the NFL, probably a top three, top four safety uh, if you had to write it down. Uh, so he was running routes back on back against him back in, in, in the day, you know, when Alabama and A&M played, you know, uh, each other, you know. They play each other every season, obviously. They're both in the SEC West, but, uh, you know, kind of a couple of seasons into Texas A&M being the SEC. 
uh, and really competing against Alabama. So, um, you know, that matchup always intrigued me. Uh, you know, Christian Kirk won his battle. Same with uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. And then obviously moving to the NFL, uh, talking about Christian Kirk in uh, the system underneath Byron Leftwich, as, as well as Mike McCoy in his rookie season, uh, where basically they only had him exclusively playing on the outside and he made plays based off his athleticism and speed alone. Um, now, and then, you know, second season, obviously the Cardinals back in 2019, they brought in Cliff Kingsbury, uh, as well as Kyler Murray. They drafted him after drafting Josh Rosen the year before, and then they traded him off to Miami, uh, for some picks. So, you know, then obviously the offense completely changed and allowed Kirk to be more involved and everything like that. But you can read that full story that I wrote, uh, spent probably about a week on it on bluechipscouting.com. So uh, if you guys do end up uh, reading it, uh, I would love feedback. And uh, you can send me your feedback at reald underscore Jackson. That's my Twitter handle uh, to talk about the piece and any questions you may have about it or uh, anything you you would like to say about it in general. But uh, that will wrap it up for this episode of the Drafting Up Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at RealD underscore Jackson. You can follow Jared on Twitter at JRodDraftScout. You can follow Blue Chip Scouting on Twitter at Blue Chip Scout. And you can check out for more work that we have coming over at Blue Chip Scouting. Uh, My guy, Mike Hernishan, just released an article uh, about uh, top seven candidates for uh, Vandy Coach. Uh, we have uh, Bl- uh, Blaine Glassmeyer, uh, one of our newer tri- contributors for Blue Chip Scouting. He's going to be, um, you know, releasing a, a big time article coming soon on Kyle Trask. He'll do a midseason scouting report that will be coming out on Wednesday when you're hearing this. And then make sure to check out all the other work we have going on at Blue Chip Scouting. And, uh, you know, if you guys didn't get a chance to take a listen to me and Jared interviewing uh, Jordan Reed and having him on the podcast to talk to talk with him, uh, make sure you check out that uh, episode as well. But that's all I got for the Draft Nut podcast today. We'll see you later this week.